You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And on today's show, I've got some fantastic guests lined up, including Jessica Eng from Sports by Jess, science fiction horror novelist and writer-director Brian Clement, author and public relations guru and with Jay's from the Couch, Joy Frank Collins, and of course, a good friend of the show, he's an author, a podcaster, and the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, Jesse Goldberg-Strosler is here today. So let's talk about those Toronto Blue Jays. On the heels of what was a superb finish to a very, very worthwhile homestand for the team, the Blue Jays demonstrated to the fans what happens when you start playing up to expectations and gradually start to surpass them. And in August, that's exactly what they've done, going 10-5 and five now, having won three straight series. And of course, we've all reached the conclusion that we've won a long time ago that Josh Donaldson is an absolute superstar and a beast. Talking about six home runs in his last five games. He's got seven home runs on this 10-game homestand. He's sitting 33 in August. And by the way, during the homestand, he also hit 485 with seven home runs and 16 RBIs. So, needless to say, when Josh Donaldson shows up play, you know something magical is going to happen. And speaking of magic, the magical journey that is Chris Rowley from West Point continues to be one of the great highlights of the season. He was exceptional, showed fantastic role. And I also noticed that he just had this grilly-like swagger with all of his pitches this afternoon that makes me believe that he truly is a diamond in the rough. He's someone that will maybe really endear himself to this fan base moving forward. Of course, it doesn't hurt when Wilson Ramos uh, turns a, a double into a single. Not sure what the heck he was thinking on that play in the corner, but I think we're seeing that more and more where hitters just simply don't recognize whether they've hit a home run and then they end up effectively being asses on the base paths in the eyes of the fans. Ryan goes to Miguel Montero on a bang-bang play at the plate that kept this game close and allowed them to, to maintain the lead. And then, of course, you've got Justin Moe being exactly what he's been the entire bloody year, which is a picture of consistency. There's something truly refreshing about this renaissance that he's experiencing, and, and not just because of his value in, in the four, four and change million dollars that he's making. I'm talking about leading by example. It's so important in that regard. And uh, when you're hitting you know, clutch home runs in the eighth inning to put the team ahead right off the Rogers 4K TV sign, boy, oh boy, is he ever a favorite employee by the organization. We also witnessed a Ryan Longoria double that would have been a flyout had Kevin Pillar been in the outfield. And I guess that was one of those rare reminders this year that when he's not patrolling center field, a lot of bad things could happen with respect to the effort that uh, Carrera gave it. I can't really ask for too much more, but things can happen, bad things. And, of course, Roberto Asuna comes out of the pen, 30-second save, absolutely dominant. And suddenly the Blue Jays are back to three games under 500 and anywhere between two and a half to three games out of the wild card as of this recording. So my next guest is a reporter with the Canadian Baseball Network, whose recent article features a very cool and exclusive interview with Roberto Asuna. Sports by Jess is on the show. Thanks for joining me on the Jays Journal podcast. Hi, Ari. How are you? I'm doing very well, Jess. I'm glad we could finally connect and make this happen. Me too. Now, Jess, one of the reasons that I spent the last little while chasing you down on Twitter and talking about baseball with you specifically is to get your perspective on this 2017 team. And I want to know, Jess, what stands out for you as someone who follows the team with a great deal of dedication and passion? This team is, I think it's a heartbreaking team for so, so many people. 
because mm-hmm. coming out of the 2016 season, there was so much optimism. You know, this has been two years. We've had some good postseason runs. Let's do it again. And right out the gate, worst start in club history. Yeah. And I think it's just, I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of guests that have talked about that, but just in terms of coming to it with so much optimism and especially um, I'm a millennial. There's a huge millennial following for this team. It was almost like almost like we had hit a big wall of reality. It's been tough watching them continually succumb to this injury bug. I was there at the game, working the game yeah. on the 28th when Tulo turned his ankle, and you knew from seeing that on the field, you knew that that was going to be likely the end of the season for him. Ah, it's been tough, but it's uh, really tests. It tests how much you really want to follow a team, not just necessarily as a journalist, but as a fan of the sport. Because you know, if you can follow them through loss after loss after loss, you know eventually a win's going to come. No question. And of course, you mentioned that as a millennial, and this, this is really an ideal opportunity for me to ask you this question because. Millennials are getting to know this team primarily based on the success of the last two years, the two years before this season. And I'm wondering, do you appreciate what the team went through to get to the point of competitiveness? And does that sometimes make you wonder whether or not people are blowing a lot of things out of proportion? I mean, 22, 23 years of getting into the playoffs is almost unfathomable now when you think about what this team has done being in the postseason in these two years. What is your take from millennials who don't know what to think and find themselves kind of blowing where the wind takes them? Interesting question. So my journey through baseball, for those who don't know, I was not as into the team when I was younger, but my dad really loved baseball. My mom really loved baseball. They actually played baseball growing up. So when I was younger, it's, I mean, I asked my mom how much of those World Series wins I got to watch because I was really, really young at that time. The first one, I'm going to age myself now. Um, The first one, I was about a year and a half, almost two, so I was really young. I didn't get to know the team prior to, uh, really prior to everything that's happened in the last couple of years. I went to tons of games growing up. Um, my dad worked at Rogers when I was younger. He had a lot of friends within uh, the club, one of them being Carlos Delgado, and it was... Yeah, but I, I didn't get to appreciate it as much. And then there was a really neat moment where we were they were in a game, and my dad screamed out to him, Carlos, come here, or something like that. And uh, he actually ran over and threw a ball to us, and he said something He said something to the effect of, like, hello, Mrs. Ng, how are you, which is my mom. And he walked away, and my mom was like, is your mother here? To my dad, because she's not used to going by Mrs. Ng. But I didn't appreciate how neat it was that we had this we had this relationship with the biggest hitter in club history so i actually really found my passion for the team through digging the last i would say really following the last year the most the last few years for sure but the last year learning more and more about the club and the players on a deeper level 
has given me a new appreciation for them. Mm. So what I would say, and not even just to millennials, to people that may not necessarily appreciate the journey that they have come on to get to the point where they're at right now, is that you got to remember, it's not like the other team doesn't want to win. Everyone wants to win. And these are, we think, you know, win-loss records that maybe this team doesn't want to win. Maybe they're not trying hard enough. But they're in, I was talking recently with the photographer for the team, Mm-hmm. Chuck Kochman and uh, another family friend he said you know every player that's in the MLB these are the top players in the entire world so when you have top players in the entire world hitting against one another ultimately someone's going to lose I guess does that someone answer the question kind of? it certainly does and I'm not just saying okay. that because I got distracted at the end by this uh, double by Kendris. I know. No, I, I, I heard something. <laughs> no, no, that's excellent. So I'm listening to you tell me about your experience with the sport and with the team. So make make my listeners appreciate what inspired you to become a sports journalist. Because one of the things that I noticed in the way that you write about this team is that there is a certain affection and fondness, almost an appreciation for what baseball means in the city. It resonates with your words and the way that you focus on your subject matter. What, what inspired you to become and, and put yourself in the field that you've chosen being a, a, a professional journalist? Another good question. My I'm journey to becoming go ahead, sorry. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, my journey to becoming a journalist is kind of unusual. Um, I actually have a background in music. I have an undergrad and a master's in jazz vocal performance. So if anyone's interested in hearing my these things, they can easily find that. Um, but I was kind of looking for my next adventure. I mean, I teach music performance at a private college right now and I was just feeling like I want to do something more. I want to do something. It's almost like the flame that I had for music hadn't it hadn't fully gone out but it just seemed like it had dulled a bit and I was looking for that fire. I was looking for that passion and I was following a lot of the Jays games at the time getting into very heated debates at home about who should be traded and why, or who should not be traded. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, my dad, and he loves to take credit for this, said, why don't you why don't you think about actually reporting on baseball? Like, why don't you think about trying to be Hazel May? And that's, that's for me, where I aim to be in the future. Uh, maybe not her, but let's say we, I can stand beside her. That would be nice. But for me, it was an extension of my performance abilities to be able to report on the sport and talk about it, but also from music and from songwriting, I really have an appreciation for the story and the heart of the story. So for me, when I'm writing, it's, it's like I'm looking for I'm looking for the person behind the athlete because mm-hmm. I can talk about I can talk about their batting average. I can talk about you know, all these different things. But for me, they're just numbers and there's a much bigger story behind that. And we often forget that they're people and each person coming to the plate has a totally unique story. And for me, that's, I think, where I find the passion for my writing and for sports journalism in general. Well, and as as far as having idols in the business and, 
and professionals to look up to. There's no question that Hazel Me is one of the best and always bring a, always brings a measure of class to Jay's telecast that makes me appreciate looking forward to her. Um, and that's a Absolutely. testament to not only not only a testament to her ability, but in how the fans uh, are, are so quick to receive and, and appreciate what she has to see on the air. I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time today, Jess. I want you to tell my uh, audience a little bit about, let me ask you this question. I know recently you, of course, wrote an article in which you interviewed Roberto Asuna. And uh, having discussed some of the social anxiety and mental health challenges he had earlier in the season with several guests, including Arden Zawelling, who broke the story, and Dr. Christina Real, one of my sports psychologist guests, came on to talk about his condition. What can you give my listeners an appreciation about some things you learned about Roberto Osuna that maybe didn't come through in the mainstream media? Things that I learned about Osuna, he really is all about baseball. I mean... At the end of the interview, I was, I asked him, you know, how do you stay focused on this? How do you, how do you get through an entire game? Like, it, it boggles my mind how you can sit an entire game, get up in the seventh or eighth, start warming up, and then pitch at the very end, knowing everything going into the that point in the game. So that for me was what I wanted to know, and his response straight out was. All I think about, all I live for is baseball. So for me, that's really at the heart of what he's trying to do. He really has a passion for what he's doing, and regardless of what other things are going on in his mind, I mean, he grew up really, really quickly in a world that I think of as like a grown grown man's world, and he was a little Mm -hmm. boy at the time. And he was forced to grow up so quickly. So I think it's just that passion for what he's doing. You know, when when he missed that important save opportunity at the end of June, that kind of put him in a little bit of a slump. My heart went out to him because I had I had worked with him prior to that, but also just seeing him sit there, just so like you could see the sadness, you could feel the sadness, and I think just to always remember that. Again, they're they're people. Even though we think of them as as athletes and mm-hmm. you know maybe somewhat impenetrable, they're every single person has their own anxieties and they're dealing with it on a much bigger stage. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And I like the use of the word impenetrable to describe, in many respects, how the fans perceive these athletes and celebrities, these, these famous players, and, and Roberto's star is only rising, and there'll no doubt be greater pressure down the road as he becomes more and more successful with this club. Jess, tell my listeners where they can find you on social media and what they should be sure to on any projects you're working on. You can find me online at Sports by Jess, so I'll be on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. You can also, if you do a little bit of digging on YouTube, you can find uh, Sing Jessing. That's all my previous music stuff, and I have my music video and everything. My newest project that I'm working on, when I spoke to the photographer for the team, I actually learned some really interesting things about being behind the scenes and things that he's seen. So right now I'm working on a new piece about that. Jess, I want to thank you for taking the time to join the show. And hopefully we can have you back for roundtable because I'd be more and more curious to know your perspectives on these Blue Jays as the season runs out. Perfect. I'm going to get back to the game now. Thanks so much, Ari. 
So joining me now on the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable, as promised, is science fiction horror novelist and writer-director Brian Clement, author and public relations guru Joy Frank Collins, and author, podcaster, and the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, Jesse Goldberg-Strasler. I want to start with, with you, Jesse, because this show should really start with the theme of what I like to call wild card fantasies. It's this kind of new segment where I'm debuting uh, a show about, you know, like-minded, seemingly intelligent, weathered baseball enthusiasts gathering around to talk about the likelihood of postseason play in this city in 2017. Um, did I just sound partially insane to you? <laughs> no, not a bit. Uh, there's the cliche that you have to take the season one game at a time, and players get made fun of for this. But the Blue Jays have to take it a game at a time right now because you don't know who's going to get hurt next. And so if a Chris Rowley can come up to the major leagues and help you steal a game here or there and just add a little bit more depth onto the rotation or whomever you can add that can help you grab that win, you get those wins, you keep on watching those teams around you, and you don't have to take over the wild card lead tomorrow, but you put yourself in position, hopefully as you get healthier with the season going forward, that you've got that chance. And as long as that chance exists, let optimism rise. So knowing that hockey is nearly upon us in a season where the baseball experience has it's been a profound disappointment, let's not mince words. Joy, how many previews and trailers and promises of 2018 are you buying into? Will this be ultimately a team that attempts to be competitive in a league where the Yankees and Boston Red Sox are clearly becoming superpowers, if you will, and could thwart that? Ooh, um, I am forever an optimist. So I like to think that uh, that we can see the Jays right back in there, um, giving giving both of those powerhouse teams um, a run for their money. Uh, that being said, um, looking backwards with with clear eyes, um, the team that 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 we have in 2017 isn't the team from 2015, and it's not the team from 2016. So uh, some of those those components, some of that chemistry. Uh, that health uh, that we had uh, is missing. And so, you know, I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to say, yeah, 2018, uh, we're going to see a bounce back. I I think that, um, I mean, that's obviously an ideal scenario. It would be wonderful to have a full healthy year from Tulo and Devin Travis Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, see Josh Donaldson continuing to be Josh Donaldson, Justin Smoke uh, continuing what he's doing. Uh, It would be great. I mean, that would be fantastic. It's just, I guess, the only... Uh, nagging fear I have in the back of my mind is that should they somehow reach the postseason this year or you know even next year is that all the all the playoff magic has run out and then we'll see them lose in a wild card game in extra innings at home or something horrible or take it to extra innings in the ALCS and game seven and just you know lose terribly to some horrible team like the Rangers or the Orioles. <laughs> well I, I can absolutely um, coming from south of the border and um, uh, having been a Pittsburgh Pirates fan for a very long time, uh, I, I am very, uh, very much in touch with those wild card loss fears. Um, and they sting like you wouldn't believe. So, um, yeah, that, that would be, that would be a, a pretty, pretty bad scenario. But uh, I still think a wild card, if you make it to the wild card, you're still, you've still done something. You've still you still come back, especially this team that has, my gosh, everything they've gone through to to even be at this point, to be this close. 
um, it, it, it's really pretty amazing. Again, that's me, the optimist, though. Let's go back to the very start of the year, too, because I think one of the biggest frustrating things for the players, they couldn't understand why they were losing. They couldn't understand why they were playing poorly because they were looking around the clubhouse and saying, we are an older team. We've done this before. What's wrong? What's different about this year? This was a franchise that for many years missed out on the postseason entirely. If they can get back to the playoffs, regardless of how it all ends and how bitter a pill it might be to swallow, after how their season has gone, that in of itself would be a heck of a story. I completely agree. Um, and that, uh, you know, to have to have that would be such a, an infusion of uh, energy back into the, the fan base because everyone has, has really fallen to these kind of doldrums over the middle part of the summer. And now this slightly, you know, it's like the, the team is showing a pulse and people want, want them desperately to resuscitate and make a run in, in uh, you know, late August and September here. It kind of seems like they're, they're really going for it because they've had a good homestand so far. And, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, they could make a run at it. And it would be, it'd be wonderful. It'd be, it would be great to see the, the sort of the, the fans uh, re-embracing the team, I think. Oh, I was just going to say that I'm a big believer that a team that's, that's on a winning tear in May is exciting, but a team that's on a winning tear in September, <laughs> no matter yeah. the record, uh, is is just two notches above. It's I mean, it's electric. Ari's original question, framing the Yankees and the Red Sox as these powerhouses, I'm not ready to buy that yet. I think that the Red Sox have great young talent. I think Aaron Judge, sure, he's been a revelation and had a whale of a first half. I don't think the Blue Jays are far away from them. I love that back end of the Blue Jays' bullpen. I still think that the Blue Jays can compete with them. And each of the last two years, we've seen the Jays make the playoffs. We've seen how far they've gone. Hey, that's great that the Yankees have rebuilt and that the Red Sox have the talent that they have. But I don't think that the and that the Jays are now going to wash back into the pack for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it's just like, uh, to be honest, sort of a, a almost a, a paranoia that that has filled the fan base for so many years. I mean, with two decades of no playoffs, it's really yeah, easy to yeah. believe that the team is just that you know there was some kind of miracle that happened in 2015 and 2016, and it's not going to repeat, and we're going to go back to another two decades of no playoffs and watching a mediocre team that's that's you know, has one or two great players that keeps it kind of watchable but isn't really going anywhere. And I think that that it's it's easy for fans to slip back into that mindset and say, well, we're here, we're, we're back again to this, and you know those two teams are back at the top of the standings. You know we don't why bother watching, and it, it's it's really easy to to see that rather than see the team that, that they've been for the last two years. And maybe they could, you know, build on that or build on the young talent they have coming up like Vlad Guerrero Jr. and whatnot. Do you think that the idea of, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not using this in a negative way, but there are a lot of people who started following the Jays in 2015 uh, as, they, as they started winning, um, as that, that, that whole shadow of loss uh, was being was being shed. Uh, do you think the the not having that history plays to the idea of optimism or against it? So there, you see a team that's been playing really well and then they start not playing well. Um, are fans who have come to the team uh, in the last few years more likely mm-hmm. to walk away and say, "Oh my goodness," or are they more likely to be like, "No, no, no! This is a winning team. This is a great team. They've been winning for you know yeah. forever." I'll half answer your question. The half that I want to answer it with is I think that the Jays made the playoffs and made their runs each of the last two years uh, with 
the wrong sorts of players to get the fans back involved. And that's not to blame Jose Bautista, mm-hmm. who his emotions and his home runs and everything about it, that's exactly what you want to capture. But we understand that he's coming toward the end of his career. And Edwin Encarnacion right. was on the downslope. And this is so great that Justin Smoke has had such a breakout year, but you'd rather it be the Marcus Stroman or the Roberto Suna right. or that sort of player that the new fan can rally around and have the next decade to enjoy. But at the same time, they do have Josh Donaldson, who hopefully they can extend and keep around for a few more years because he's an elite player at the top of his game and hopefully isn't going to decline as rapidly as, say, Troy Tulowitzki did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, really. Well, and that goes back to my original question, which, which Jesse referenced with regards to the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. Uh, they are not a super team yet. They are spending money like they want to become the, the proverbial super team that doesn't have limitations when it comes to acquiring players or rationalizing trading for, for large contracts. Isn't that, Jesse, where the cynicism comes from, the fact that maybe Blue Jays fans are saying, it's Rodgers. They're not going to spend money. They're not going to get in the top five in payroll, even though they have the best attendance and are the fourth largest markets in North America. It would hurt more if the players that the Blue Jays lost were better. But when David Price takes all that money and then you watch mm-hmm. to see how he's fared in Boston, I think you feel much mm-hmm. better about that as a Blue Jays fan, that, hey, we saved some money. Or maybe you, you say to yourself, he would be better with us. And yet there is still that little feeling that we want them to spend money, but we want them to spend it on the right players. If they are going to dish out a lot of cash, it's going to bring a lot of pressure on that guy. And you want to see that guy play up to it and then some. So, yes, there is that lingering suspicion of how much money is Rogers spending and how is this helping us. But as long as they see the wins, as long as Justin Smoke doing what he's doing or Steve Pierce supplying the dramatics, all they want to see is the players that have been brought in making a difference. Yeah, I think that the fan cynicism is really easy to sort of fall back on because it's, um, you'll forgive me my wording, but I guess mentally lazy in a way. It's just it's easy for fans to sort of fall back and say, well, the Red Sox and the Yankees, they've been so good for so long. And it, I, I don't want to, I don't mean this pejoratively, but the casual fan who doesn't closely follow you know, how the team has developed or which players are exactly on the team. And I remember working with people who um, would just, I would say, oh, I'm going to the Jays game. And they say, who cares? The Jays suck. And that, that was all they knew. They didn't know any of the players. They didn't know Jose Bautista or any of the, the pitchers or anything like that on the team at the time. And I would say, well, you know, what, what are you going to see? They say Derek Jeter or something like that, because mm-hmm. all they know is the famous names and the famous faces and the, the sort of, I guess, marquee players. And I, I, I think for that kind of fan, um, it's easy to just believe in the in the hype, I guess. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I got onto a bit of a tangent there, but it's easy to fall for that kind of hype, the marketing hype, and, and not really follow the team and how they're actually performing or how they're developing or how they're evolving. Um, so the modern fan who looks at the Red Sox and Yankees will see, oh, Mookie Betts, oh, Aaron Judge, and these guys are heavily marketed because those teams bring so much money into MLB. All their merchandising, you know, they're famous. They're they're these long-lived franchises that have you know rich histories of players like uh, you know Mickey Mantle and uh, um, Ted Williams and whatnot. And people will look at that and say, you know, these teams have been around forever. They're so good. And you know that little blip where they weren't good for for very long. You know now they're back to being good. And the Blue Jays were yeah. bad for so long. They're back to being bad. I think it's easy to to fall into that mindset. I do love though that the Blue Jays have marketable players that Josh Absolutely. Donaldson is a superstar. Marcus Stroman 
is a face of baseball. Jose Bautista, for these several years, has been a huge part of baseball's public face. And now if you mention that name, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., people know it. He's going to be the number one prospect in baseball next year. Everybody is going to know who he is, and Blue Jays fans can say, we've got him. So I really don't think that the Blue Jays are a team composed of anonymous, hardworking, but little-known guys who are getting the job done. They are composed with some of the game's biggest names. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm sort of, what I'm referring to is, is, I would say, four or five, I guess maybe five or six years ago um, when I would have these discussions with people before uh, they really became that kind of a team before the Josh Donaldson, Marcus Stroman era. It was, it was like more in the JPR and Sevia Brett Laurie era of, of the team, and people would just kind of ignore them and, and not really pay attention to them. And so I think that that, that mindset was so pervasive for so long that it's, um, for the very casual fan, that's, that's kind of what they fall back into. But I do 100% agree that, you know, the modern Blue Jays are very much more marketable and have a much more public presence. Well, and do you think that that, that marketability, I mean, it comes with success. I mean, it, they, these, these guys were good players before the whole team was good. So you, you have this marketability now, but it has, it's come on the heels of the success. Uh, so do you feel like um, one bad year, let's say this year continues the way it's going, there's there's not a wild card berth, there's not a playoff, anything like that, do you think that that's going to begin to chip away at those Johnny-come-lately fans um, who, again, I, that's, I'm not trying to say anything, I'm not trying to be dismissive of them because they have made a mark um, They've helped sell out Rogers Center. They've helped um, to make the team uh, grow the team in that way. Uh, but do you think that they will, they, as you said, regret, fall back into that, ah, now they're going to suck again? No, it just very much depends on the, on the individual fan, right? Because some, so many fans will, will stick with the team because they say, well, you know, they could bounce back. Some of these guys are still great players. They still have Josh Donaldson. They still have Stroman and Osuna. And then there are other fans who you know, who will kind of casually go to ball games because they go with their friends or because you know it's what it's something to do on a summer afternoon. And then they'll just kind of say, I don't really feel like spending 20 bucks. It used to be 14 or it used to be 10 and 20 dollars. Ah, oh, that's too much money. I don't want to see a team lose. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's th- those kind of fans who who maybe will start to drop away a bit. That said, I don't mind bandwagon fans. I don't mind <laughs> fans who jump on because their team is winning. Winning is fun. Uh, and it should be the aim of the team to win. It should be the aim of the Blue Jays every single year to make and win the World Series. So the fact that the team was winning and gained all of these fans, that's that great start. And so will these fans, uh, will they regress? You know what? Yes, if the Blue Jays fall back to earth and fall back to the bottom of the AL East for several seasons. But if next year they're back to being competitive everyone jumps right back on the bandwagon and says last year was a little bit of an off year and this year we're back to it. So I really do think at the start of next year that people will be paying very close attention to what the Blue Jays did in the off season to improve themselves and how they'll fare. That was it. I just, you know, that's what you want to see. You want to see those fans coming back, whether casual or diehard, you just want to see them sticking with the team through the ups and the downs. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I, I definitely, I mean, I have no problem with bandwagon fans, the so-called bandwagon fans myself. I mean, one of the things I really enjoy, I don't know about you guys, you feel free to weigh on them, in on us, is, is taking a friend who's never been to a game before, who has become excited about it and saying, oh, I want to see this team, they're so interesting now, or 
you know, people who've never seen baseball before, or even the fans that sit around in, in a sort of the, the neighborhood of my section who ask questions, oh, what just happened there? What was that mm-hmm. player? Who is that guy? And I love explaining to them, well, this is how this works. Here's, this is the ground rule double, and this is, you know, the, you know, the, the inning-ending pop-up or whatever, and they don't understand what those things are, and you have to explain it to them, and they become more interested, and that's how they become, you know, more knowledgeable about baseball. And I don't, I mean, I, I love that, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's, it's almost um, it, it's it's exciting to to see um, a rebirth of a love of the sport, if you will. People who are taking an interest again, who might have just said, "Blah, whatever, I don't care." Um, so yeah, I do I do too. And and I mean, you know, uh, the, the, there's plenty of room on the bandwagon, right? So um, you know, I just hop aboard. It's 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 fun. So it seems to me that we are covering my favorite subject over the last few weeks, which is discussing the prospect of what fan value really is because whether whether it's being owned by a media company whether it's the team having success i think at the end of the day we can all agree that in baseball the fans always want to feel like they're getting value for their time for their money for their commitment to a sport that sometimes can test the limits and i refer now to a segue looking at the stadium which i have been quoted in the past as calling uh, an endearingly retro monstrosity uh, that sticks out like a, a sore thumb compared to most baseball, modern baseball stadiums across the United States. And, and of course, it was constructed a, a very long time ago. Maybe not quite pushing yet that time frame to replace it. But we know the outfield grass never happened. And about the only thing that's really improved inside it, aside from scoreboard renovations and some upholstery, is the number of advertisers. I want to ask you, Brian, do you still consider a trip to the Sky Dome as a worthwhile experience, all expenses included? Uh, you know, I definitely do because I'm a season ticket holder. I share season tickets with my friend Michael. Um, and I think it's it, people find it easier, e- easy to sort of rag on the stadium, especially once they've been to other really beautiful stadiums in the U.S., like Safeco Field or uh, Wrigley Field or whatever. And then they come back to Rogers Center, formerly Sky Dome, and look at it and say, man, this place is just a big concrete donut. You can't see... You know, there's no air coming in really. It's not, you know, there's no, it's not as, as bright and, and open feeling as a lot of other stadiums. But at the same time, I think, you know, with all its warts, it's home. And I love it when the roof is open. I, you know, when it's full of people, it's a great atmosphere. Um, you know, the turf is not perfect, of course, but the, they, you know, they've added the altered infield, and I think that's a huge improvement. Um, and they, you know, they, they keep talking about putting more into it and, and improving it as much as possible. And there is definitely room for improvement. And I think that, you know, that that's, uh, they can take steps to, to improve it and, and keep it uh, a livable, functional space for the, the next decade or so until they have to build a new stadium because, it's, I mean, it's eventually going to happen. But the, just the location is so perfect and right downtown. I mean, you can see the CN Tower. It's easy to get to. It's right beside the train station. I mean, for me personally too, because I live downtown and I work uh, just a few blocks away, it's it's a great location for me. So, I mean, I can complain about it, but at the same time, it's just it's so perfect for me that I I don't want to complain about it. I echo Brian's opinion. Every single time that I've gone to a game at Skydome, at in parentheses Rogers Center, I've had a <laughs> fantastic time. I've loved the location, and I've entirely adored the ballpark atmosphere. I thought that that atmosphere makes everything. I've loved it. And I've gone a couple of times here, a couple of times there over the past couple of years since joining the minor league organization, and I've never had a negative experience. 
I've seen probably, uh, I would say, four times as many ball games at PNC Park in Pittsburgh um, as I have at Rogers Center. And I live seven hours from Toronto, and I make a pilgrimage every chance I get to go to Toronto to, to, to take in games. Um, so there is a huge difference between PNC Park, which arguably is one of the best stadiums in baseball as far as its construction, as far as its sight lines. Um, there's a huge difference between PNC Park and between uh, the, the Sky Dome and Rogers Center. Um, Rogers Center is that concrete uh, monstrosity in a way, but it's 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 fabulous, and I I love to see a baseball game there. First of all, it's different. Um, it's 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 I when I was young made a trek from Ohio to what to just see the baseball stadium attached to a hotel. So um, from that from that aspect alone, there are so many unique things about it uh, that sure it could use a facelift. Let's let's all be honest. It it's it's kind of old. It's kind of dingy, but it's it's perfect in in its old dinginess, in my opinion. I, I think that um, a good metaphor for this would be. You know that that old beat up dog you've got. You know it's 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 your dog. You know he may be ugly, he may be missing teeth, maybe mangy, but he's still a lovable old pup, and you you can't not love him. <laughs> um, even you know even though he can't he can't play anymore, he kind of just sits there. But it's it's still it's still something that that holds that sort of nostalgic value, and it still has great experiences left to it. Um, and I mean. Part of the problem, I think, is, is a problem of comparison, and I refuse to compare it to, to other stadiums. Those are just different experiences. When I go to Safeco, I love going to Safeco. When I went to Comerica, that's you know a great stadium on its own. When I went to Wrigley, it's a great stadium on its own. When I go to minor league ball games, I went to uh, see the Vancouver Canadians a few weeks ago in Vancouver, and the Nat Bailey Stadium is, is also a great stadium on its own. But they're just different experiences, and I think it's fine to, to like something and not say it has to be like this. It's just different. Exactly. That's what makes baseball unique. I mean, the I, my goal is to visit all 30 state, major league stadiums, and I'm on number nine now. That's with, like, my whole family. And wow. each each place has its own unique uh, atmosphere. It has its own unique history. Um, and and to, to want to cookie cutter those places, that's just not the right way to do it. Now, do I think they need to have real grass? In Rogers Center, absolutely. <laughs> I want to see some grass stains on those home Jays uniforms. That's that's my that's that's what I need to see. And of course, the brilliant analogy regarding canines, I think, is especially uh, salient for me because I think to to myself, we not only technically own that dog, but also <laughs> we're aware that that dog experienced a lot success very early and sometimes I think that's what clouds our judgments especially those of us who are a little older with longer memories is the fact that this is a an organization that should be investing in the proverbial digs so fans can get the best possible experience knowing that there's an increase in the costs associated with everything whether it's parking whether it's concessions and of course a 17 percent ticket increase Joy, was that a, a public relations misstep that the team would come out in the middle of, of, a, of a very mediocre season and basically with a, a very stoic grin say, don't worry, it'll get better. We're going to rebuild and compete. And by the way, you're going to spend more money. Yeah. Um, there is just, there's no 
reason that that had to happen at at, at that time. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were trying to you, you want to be proactive. In PR, you always want to get ahead of the story. You always want to be out there in front of things instead of trying to play catch up. That's not the way you want to do things. But wow, um I just can't imagine what the, the, the mindset was to say, okay, so we're just going to come out and, and just announce the 17% hike in sale and, and ticket costs, even given where the where the team is in the ser- in the in the season, and there 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 was no real need to to make that known at that time. I I think it was a, a big PR misstep. That's what I was wondering. If you read their minds, what's the reasoning? How many how many weeks went into this where they go, this is the day we're going to release and this is why it's going to be a hit? I'd, I'd love to understand the thinking behind that led to this. Now is the time. Yeah, I, I just, I can't, I mean, I don't even know. I can't even remember. Was it during a winning streak or anything? I, I don't even think that was going on. I, just I don't think know if it we've was had like, those you know, this year, Joy. I don't think we've right, had those this You know, we, we've sent six more people to the DL. By the way! Hey. Um, Maybe they, they know, tried I, to justify it by saying they had to pay for everyone's medical bills. Well, that could be, but but it's Canada, right? So you've got that whole you know the whole internationalized healthcare going on. So yeah, I I don't know, but I I definitely think it was a it was a misstep to um, and you know what? Look, baseball teams are going to do that. They're, they're gonna they're gonna bring up they're gonna raise the the cost. That's just we know that's going to happen. Uh, but to to announce it in that way at that time. They have plenty of time to make those announcements. Um, you know, I just think it was a blunder. Let me go Maybe back to the previous question. Back to the previous question. Maybe they're building a cloning lab so they can so they can create thirty Josh Donaldsons and people the entire roster <laughs> oh, with a bunch yeah. of Josh Donaldsons. No, I just wanted to connect this with the idea of a new stadium. Uh, that's I think the idea of the finance, the idea of the money and what you need it for, where this is going to go into. Let's say they were to build a new stadium. Let's say they were to construct it. And where would they put it and what they would come up with and how would it be financed and all of those different other questions that come up. It's it's all of those different expenses that they're looking at or what they're looking to try to, I don't know, I keep coming back to financing. That somebody took a look at this and said, 17%, this is the right number, this is what we should go with. And I would love to know why. If, if you're thinking that that's what you're going to do to fund your, you know, renovations, to fund your, your your new stadium, anything along those lines, then roll out the blueprints, roll out the plans first, and yeah. then roll out the upcharge in the in the ticket costs. Say, hey, look, we're planning on putting an all new grass field down. Hey, look, we're we're paying for the engineering right now for a brand new Rogers Center in downtown Toronto, here's how we're going to pay for it. Because then everybody's excited. They see it. They say, oh, man, check it out. This is amazing. This is brilliant. This is so what we need. And then they can swallow that pill a little bit better. But instead, I think all we were left with was an announcement by the general manager, Ross Atkins, that the Blue Jays would compete and rebuild in 2018, which was greeted with the kind of muted concern that only – a very, very complacent fan base could could receive. I mean, Jesse, how am I supposed to interpret that when somebody tells me, uh, I'm, I'm planning on rebuilding my team, but I also expect to be competitive in the American League East? Doesn't that sound like an absolute oxymoron? 
No, because of the trades that they made. I think that the trades that they made at the deadline, and we'll see what other trades are coming down the pike soon, but trading for Teoscar Hernandez from the Houston Astros, in addition to adding Aoki, uh, you're adding a AAA outfielder who's going to pop right into your outfield next year. And then the trade that they made with Joe Smith, that was really good for Joe. Plus, you get a left-hander who's already up at AA. He's ready to come in and pitch in the major leagues as soon as next year. Uh, there was no massive tearing this down, building this back up. There was no fire sale. So I really do think that they looked at this team and they said, we can, we can trade away a couple of guys. We can look to our minor leagues. But at the same time, we still want to win this year and next year. Um, and you can question the logistics of that. You can say how feasible this is. But it seems to me that that's exactly what they signaled. Yeah, I think it's important to uh, note that they still have a, a very strong core to, that they can build more players around. I mean, they still have a bunch of good rotation pieces. They still have, obviously, Josh Donaldson. They still have Devin Travis, hopefully, if he comes back healthy, and Tulowitzki if he comes back healthy. Um, it's it's definitely not a bad team that has a lot of potential and can definitely bounce back. So it's just, you know, they hope that this year was a blip. You know, there were some you know, down years from a lot of guys. A lot of guys got hurt, and there was a lot of bad luck. Um, and then hopefully that reverses next year and they can build on it and maybe have a one last shot at this thing before they have to start really seriously uh, building up the, the players that will come up from the minors. Well, one thing's for sure. The script on this season has not been written fully quite yet. Uh, as you mentioned, by coincidence, Brian, Josh Donaldson, as I'm recording this, he just hit his second home run to put the Jays ahead and what will be an opportunity <laughs> to win three out of four against the team that they're chasing. So, I want to leave it on an optimistic note. Um, let's go around the horn now. We'll start with you, Brian, and then Joy and Jesse. Uh, why don't you tell my listening audience uh, how they can find you on social media, what you're working on, and what they should know about your project. Um, okay. Well, I am online at brianclement.com, uh, not to be confused with the uh, fake doctor of the same name. I, uh, I write horror <laughs> and science fiction, and um, I, uh, I'm on um, – Social media is Brian F.H. Clement. I'm currently writing my third novel. Uh, I've written a couple of short stories this year that are going to be published in anthologies from the Horror Writers Association. And I'm also writing a comic book series called Ghost Cats with my friend Aaron. And uh, we've done some baseball-themed comics. Um, and uh, that is online at Ghost Cats Comic. And, uh, Ghost, sorry, at Ghost Cats Comic and ghostcats.ca. Well, you can find me online um, on social media at joyfc. Um, I am uh, working on a couple of really fun baseball-related things uh, for Jays from the Couch. I am uh, working on a new series called Inside the Park, where I uh, basically profile folks who work inside the park or who are in, in Rogers Center who kind of add and make the game, whether it's a, from a fan perspective or from a, uh, a person who's working for the team. And I am doing my first profile on Hazel May, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, very nice. um, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, just, just really, really fun, um, exciting thing there. Um, I also am a, a freelance writer, so you can find my articles in WOW Magazine, which is the airline for Iceland Air. <laughs> um, and uh, it is the magazine for WOW, which is a low-fare Icelandic airline. But um, I get to write some really fun things about Pittsburgh, which is uh, the city that I'm, I'm kind of closest to. Um, also, one really quick thing, if I can, um, Jeeves from the Couch has uh, just launched a, uh, a 
a fundraising and awareness raising um, uh, initiative uh, with the ALS Society of Canada. Um, MLB recently partnered with the ALS Association um, because, of course, the connection with Lou Gehrig and um, had been doing a lot of wonderful things to raise money for the disease. Um, and um, Jay's from the Couch, our founder, has uh, been touched by ALS and his family. And uh, we wanted to do something uh, in Canada uh, to, uh, to try to help uh, with research and, um, and funding uh, ways to, to combat the disease. And so we launched a, a, new, um, a new initiative on the website Jay's from the Couch. I think that my co-panelists are rock stars, and it's, it was an honor to join both of you. This is fantastic. Let's say that you hear Chris Rowley is going to start for the Blue Jays, and you don't know who that is. Well, the Jays just called out to the bullpen, and they brought in Tim Meza, and you've never heard that name before in your life. The place to go to is the Miners. Uh, I'm the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, and I host a weekly podcast where I bring on the radio broadcasters of every Blue Jays affiliate, Ben Wagner and AAA Buffalo, the Tylers from AA New Hampshire, and right onward, Rob Fay in Vancouver, Matt Papelkin, Bluefield, etc. So you can find us on Twitter at Around Nest. We are Around the Nest, and I'm Jay Goldstrass, J-G-O-L-D-S-T-R-A-S-S. And uh, I had Vladdy and Bo Bichette earlier this year, and you will be seeing them in AA as soon as next year. The Jays minor league system is humming. A spirited and insightful, worthwhile roundtable. You've been listening to Jesse goldberg Strasler. Joy Frank Collins and Brian Clement here on the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable. I want to thank all three of you for taking the time and hope to see you very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ari.